Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. I'm I'm also terrified that if I put this away, Gritty's going to come find me and punish me for it, so. He might. He might. Welcome to Checking Out the Competition, Anaheim Ducks. I almost said Mighty Ducks because in my head it's 1996, but whatever. <laughs> we were joined this time by CJ Woodling. CJ, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Kelly. Thanks for having me. No problem. So... We were just talking about how it's been a long time since we've done one of these little pregame chats, and that is mostly because the Flyers have not played the Ducks in what seems like 100 years. Um, and last time you and I talked during a conversation, which I was eating like my weight in cheese, if I remember correctly. Um, we good talked cheese. About, that was so, totally it worth was, it. It was good cheese. We talked about how, um, well, you talked about how the Ducks were kind of finally entering into a full-on rebuild phase. Um, so I guess kind of high level, how have the Ducks been changing over the last like year and a half since we played them? Well, it's funny because, you know, we had this conversation before the season began um, when uh, most people, media, and then us included over at Crash the Pond and most Ducks fans that you talk to were like, okay, this is going to be a rough season. They are fully rebuilding. Yes, they have finally openly committed to the rebuild, even though they hadn't previously and that they were still publicly trying to say that they were going to make the playoffs. Um, and since then, the Ducks are now sitting in a playoff spot. So either the rebuild has happened way faster than anybody could imagine, or they're a little bit of a um, bubble right now. Um, if you ask me, I think it's a little of both. Um, I definitely think they are overperforming to some extent. Um, but at the same time, there have been a few pieces of the team that have stepped up as well as a couple of, of uh, veteran players who have been kind of revitalized as well. So it's kind of a mixture of those two things. Don't get me wrong. The Ducks Cup window still isn't open yet, but um, their window and the progression of the rebuild, I think most of us agree, is coming along faster than we anticipated. And that window will probably come open here pretty quickly. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because looking at the standings, the Ducks right now, for those not paying attention, are second in the Pacific Division. Um, I certainly, at the start of, de- of the season, looking at that division, would not have placed the Ducks that high. I mean, like, probably maybe, like, comfortably fifth, I would have guessed. Just, you know, Vegas, Calgary, Edmonton. Um, I, yeah, I guess maybe... Maybe fourth, if you because I mean the rest of the team is the teams are kind of bad. Um, yeah, the Pacific Division is a dumpster fire. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of a weak division, but right now they're in in second place, and obviously there's still a lot of hockey left to play this season. But um, I would imagine that is like you said a, a pretty pleasant surprise. Yeah, it's been great, and th- even beyond being surprisingly competitive, this Ducks team 
is just so much more watchable than we have seen in years. And I would argue that this team is even more fun to watch than they were during their peak during the last decade in the 2000s when they made, you know, they, they made two Western Conference finals in the span of about three years. Um, they were really, really good, but for very different reasons than they're good now. And they certainly weren't as fun. Um, and a lot of that can be ascribed to the young guns, particularly Trevor Zegris. They brought a swagger to this team that I don't think we've ever seen in the franchise. And, I'd, and I've talked to a lot of different fans. Um, most of them, especially veteran fans, most of them all agree that they haven't had this much fun probably since the Korean Solani days. I mean, that's a, a pretty high bar. So, yeah, um, is it? I mean, because Trevor Zegras, obviously, arguably one of the best young players in the league, like super fun to watch. Obviously, that Zegras to Milano goal that we all saw was just stupid amount of fun. Um, is the success of this team right now just kind of because obviously getting a player like Zegras is a little bit of luck. Um, is can you attribute the success, I guess, so quickly in the rebuilding phase to just kind of lucking into a player like Zegris? Or do you think it's been more of a deliberate buildup of talent that has kind of turned things around in a way? Luck, I think, is part of it. Um, you know, the, the Ducks selected Trevor Zegris in 2019 um, with the ninth overall pick. And I know that there are probably several teams who are kicking themselves for letting him drop that low. That being said, they um, and that he's been huge. And and we've seen that, especially the last couple of games, because Zegers has actually been out in a COVID protocol for the last couple of games. And uh, assuming everything goes right, he's actually scheduled to come back tomorrow. So more than likely, Flyers fans Yay. will get to see him tomorrow. <laughs> You're like, yay, but I'm not sure how that's going to be I for mean, your like yeah, yay, it's going to be fun to watch him play hockey. Boo, he'll probably score at least. Well, <laughs> yeah, well, we'll see. But, um, uh, you know, the the thing that we found with Zegers out of the lineup the last couple of games is that the Ducks don't have a whole lot of depth. Like with Zegers out, they basically had to make shift setter. Like at one point, their first game back from the extended NHL break, um, we only ran three centers. Um, and, uh, and, and so it was one of those things where having Zegris allows the ducks to kind of optimize their lineup and to bring stability to the top six. Um, but another reason why the ducks have been so good this year has been two things. Number one, the, uh, revitalization of Ryan Getzloff. Ryan Getzloff is playing like he's, you know, 28, you know, 27, 28 again, like he is having a phenomenal season, but even more than him, Troy Terry has been arguably the biggest breakout of the Ducks, even more so than Trevor Zegers. Troy Terry is currently leading the Ducks in points and in goals. I believe he's top 10 in the NHL in goals right now, may even be in the top 10 in points. Um, Troy Terry has just exploded. And we always knew that Troy Terry had a lot of talent and that he was good. But I think a lot of us were like, okay, you know, he would probably be, he's always been a good defensive forward and he'd be a good, you know, 50, maybe if he goes on a bender, 60 points or something like that. He's right now, I think on like an 80 point pace right now and like a 40 goal pace. And he has just exploded and he looks 
so, so good. It's unbelievable um, how much impact Troy Terry has when he's on the ice right now. Um, so he's definitely somebody to keep an eye out when you're watching the game tomorrow, um, especially with the gets off will probably be out tomorrow because of COVID protocol as well. But, um, you know, it, it's just allowing the Ducks to be able to optimize their lineup and getting some breakout performances from some guys who um, I think maybe broke out a little bit later than a lot of us were expecting. Yeah, I'm looking at his numbers right now, Troy Terry, and as a noted not watcher of the Western Conference at all, um, I do not know much about him. He's a fifth round pick. So like, yeah, pretty, pretty late pick and leading the team in points is pretty wild for, you know, a random fifth round pick. Yeah, he, and, and he's amazing. And and I think a lot of people are probably familiar with Troy Terry for his world junior performance where, you know, he went five hole constantly in the shootout. He he kind of went all all TJ Oshie um, <laughs> on the on the shootout. And then as well for the fact that he was probably the best player on the Team USA Olympic squad in uh, Pyeongchang, Korea in 2018. He was still playing for Denver University in the NCAA at the time, which is why he was able to go over there. Um, so he he certainly has some of that bigger international exposure, um, but his tenure with the Ducks up until this point, I think the he had topped out at like 21 points in a season, and you always saw these flashes of brilliance with him, but he can never quite put it together. Mm-hmm. And this season, it's just he's he, it exploded. I think out of nowhere. I think we all expected him to be better. I don't think any one of us expected him to be this good. So you mentioned Getzloff being on the COVID protocol right now. Um, today, we're recording this Monday. Um, today, Nick Delorier and Derek Grant also got put onto the protocol list. Um, how have the Ducks been? You kind of mentioned that they're struggling with depth a little bit. How have they been dealing with the absences of kind of, you know, big name players like Zegers and Getzloff um, because of this COVID nonsense? Yeah, the the interesting thing about this is that the well, first off, Grant and Delorier are the types of guys who are more the bottom six. Um, there's you talk to a lot of Ducks fans and they are very much the type of players um, that aren't necessarily uh, super popular by a lot of fans based on their on ice production. Um, and quite honestly, and I want to preface this, I don't want this to come off bad. Like I want to preface this by saying like Grant and Delorier from all accounts are fantastic people, great teammates. Um, and you know, losing them, we hope they recover. We hope they're experiencing mild to no symptoms, um, and that they come back, you know, well, um, for that for sure. But at the same time, from a pure performance perspective they are basically replacement level to maybe under replacement level so we'll be having a couple of people on the taxi squad um come up so i don't think there's going to be that much of a difference that you're going to see in the lineup um the big thing that is going to be missing from the ducks is going to be getzloff really and then they also have adam henrik who's out with a i believe a shoulder injury something it's not COVID; it's another injury um so because of that they are um, uh, having Zegers back is going to be huge for them. They were missing Cam Fowler for a couple games due to an injury. That was also big. Cam Fowler has been such a stabilizing presence on the back end on the Ducks blue line. Um, and we the the Ducks didn't have him in the game against Vegas, and you could tell the defense just could not do anything. Whereas yesterday, um, I believe it was yesterday against Colorado. Um, you know, you'd think they would 
get their asses handed them to them basically by Colorado, but they hung with them. And honestly, they didn't really lose until basically the final couple minutes of the, of the third period. So um, their response, the resolve has been amazing. Um, And really it's just a matter, I think of the team understanding, Hey, these are the guys that we have out. This is what they were good at. How are we going to be able to change up our game plan a little bit to make up for that fact with Getzloff being out, you're missing a lot of playmaking ability. You're missing a lot of vision and and, and kind of passing creativity. Zegris is certainly going to bring back some of that. And in fact, I wouldn't be surprised to see Zegris centering the top line um, hmm. with Getzloff out tomorrow. But it is something that the Ducks, I think, are going to have to be um, and also more defensively responsible because Getzloff was one of our best uh, defensive uh, forwards as well. So being able to um, kind of sit back, maybe not try and take too many risks and to be able to defend the puck well, I think is going to be key for Anaheim. So um, you've mentioned the guys that are scoring well this season. Um, has offense been the driver of the Ducks success so far? Or has there been something else that's kind of keeping the team winning? Well, if you look at the Ducks underlying numbers, a lot of their underlying numbers actually haven't changed all that much from last season in terms of getting shot attempts off, getting shot generation. Um, what has changed? Uh, th- there's a couple of things. And one of the reasons why I think the Ducks are maybe overperforming a little bit right now is that as a whole on the team, the team shooting percentage, I believe is one of the highest in the NHL. Mm. Um, so that's number one. They are, uh, you know, more shots are going in. Number two, they have a top five power play in the NHL. Um, that they went from bottom of the league last year by far. I think they were full like 10% below the second to last person last year. They were god awful. Um, the Ducks completely overhauled their assistant coaching uh, last year behind Dallas Aiken. So now we have Newell Brown um, uh, back there. Um, we have Mike Stuthers, who was previously of the Kings. And then we have, um, surprisingly, a lot of people don't realize we have Jeff Ward, the former Calgary Flames head coach. Um, as an assistant, and they have essentially taken over most of the X's and O's on the special teams, and that has completely transformed. So being a top five in the power play certainly will help your goal scoring quite a bit. Um, At five on five, though, even though the numbers haven't changed a whole lot, what we are seeing is a lot better quality of shots. Usually the Ducks have previously kind of taken point shots, not really had a lot of high danger chances. And this time around, and I think a lot of this is being spurred by Trevor Zegers. Trevor Zegers is is incredible at this, as well as Sonny Milano, who has also broken out a lot bigger than a lot of people were expecting. Sonny Milano and Trevor Zegers have turned out to be one of the most fun and exciting dynamic offensive pairings I've seen Mm -hmm. lately in the NHL. And um, both of them have the uncanny ability to get to the puck into extremely dangerous areas. And so we're seeing a lot um, better in terms of high, uh, high danger scoring chances and that type of shot quality generation. And that's been the biggest difference between last season and this season. I did not know the power. The power play thing is pretty wild. Yeah. That's it's, it's insane how much better they've gotten. Yeah. And it's all system, like not really personnel at all. It's it's mostly system. Having Trevor Zegris on the power play is like every time he gets like, because you'll usually see Zegris' usuals, um, usual spot on the power play is, I'm looking at it, it's usually like the, the 
right wing a lot of times because he'll run the power play up on the up on the half wall occasionally they'll flip him over for a one-timer because he's got a surprisingly good one-timer um but you but what will what you'll usually see is um him running the that over there and he's got like such an insane um creativity for passes and such a, a fantastic execution rate of his passes um that you will see that there um, and then um, having uh, Jamie Drysdale as well, our 19-year-old defenseman who we took six overall in 2020, um, he's actually been pretty good on the power play as well. Really, really good skater quarterbacking when they run a four forward, one D-man unit. Usually Jamie Drysdale's on there, and he's proven to be pretty dynamic uh, back on the blue line as well. What's been the biggest weak spot on the team this season? <sighs> that was a good question. Um I think that the biggest weak spot is actually going to be lineup decisions coming from Dallas Aikens. Um, That has been our biggest critique. And a lot of that is because, like, for a good portion of this year, Trevor Zegers, even though he was racking up points um, and you looked at a lot of his analytics and they looked really, really good and – you know, even if you throw away the analytics and you just watch this kid, like you can tell he's something special. He's doing so much good. Um, he was still getting basically third, fourth line ice time. We had Derek Grant and like fourth liners getting more ice time than him um, because uh, they and, and Dallas Akins has said that, oh, we're trying to ease him in and he needs to earn his defensive spot. But it would be like basically one little mistake in the defensive zone that would lead to a chance again. And he would effectively get benched for the third period. Oh God. I hate um, that. Yeah. Right. That, like there's no room to grow. And at the same time we were all yelling, we were like, look, if this is your future number one center, if you truly do believe that this kid is the leader of your team, which the team has directly told everybody is mm-hmm. the case. Um, I don't understand why you're not giving him the opportunity to play in different situations. Like Aikens would never give him defensive zone face-offs. He, he would put Derek Grant out there instead for defensive zone face-offs. And the kicker to this is that Derek Grant is so much worse at defense than Trevor Zegers, but he's got it in his mind that Grant's better for some reason because he has a lot of PK time. I, I don't, that's one of the things that we've been baffled by um, is that some of these people and some of these people that have been considered defensive stalwarts, when you look at their numbers, actually aren't defensive stalwarts. And realistically, there needs to be some sort of, you know, reimagination of how you're evaluating defensive play for skaters. I know that's a difficult thing that, you know, evaluating defense, I think is a lot more difficult to evaluate than offense. Um, and I think most people know this, but it was pretty clear that that was the case. And so, um, that's been the biggest thing for us is just ice time deployment and kind of how um, he constructures his lines has been extremely questionable at best and has definitely lost the Ducks several games, especially later in the third period, because the Ducks, I think, are one of the league leaders in the NHL at like blowing third period leads. Oh, um, so, so yeah, if, if the Flyers are either tied or one down with Anaheim with like five minutes left in the third, watch out. <laughs> So it's it's pretty wild then, given that you guys apparently have a coach that like a lot of NHL coaches um, make really confusing lineup choices that seem to favor safe, in quotation marks, plugs over dynamic, young, exciting players because 
the dynamic players doing dynamic things will sometimes make a huge glaring error because they're trying to do something good. Whereas Derek Grant will just hang back and, you know, bank it off the boards and out. And it's like, oh, great. He's so much better. Look what he did there. Yeah. Such a safe play. We love that. And and despite that, the, the Ducks are still thriving, it would seem, for now at least. Yeah, one of the things that I I will say, um, and you know we've <laughs> we at Crash the Pond have have trashed Deacons for his strategic and in game decisions a, a decent amount, maybe a little too much, but one of the things that I do have to give him credit for is that he is a tremendously effective communicator, and he has to be one of the best coaching interviews I've ever seen at the NHL. I don't think I've ever seen a surface level answer, a very typical, oh, we just need to play hard for 60 minutes and get in deep. The typical hockey and cliches that you see all the time from both yeah. players and coaches. Eakins will give detailed, like systematic breakdowns. Uh, um, and even if we don't necessarily agree with his logic, um, a lot of the times in what he says, we've had, and he said some frustrating things. He's at least willing to communicate well. He gives us an insight into his thought process and what he's trying to do. Um, and quite frankly, you can learn quite a bit from him. And from everything we've heard, um, uh, most players love playing for him on the Ducks. He's a he's an absolutely fantastic communicator, um, especially during this whole COVID situation. He has been so empathetic. I mean, the big thing for him leading up into the Christmas break was making sure that all the players were healthy and he just hammered home the point of making sure that nobody was stranded, that he agreed and he was down for the NHL to pause for a little bit because he wanted all their players to be with their families. Um, and so I think just he's, he's, he's an, he's a fantastic human being. And I think he knows how to communicate with the players and to get their buy-in into certain things, whether or not those are the right things to buy into is another question but um, there's no question that he is a compassionate and just overall great human being. And I think maybe part of that um, is certainly what has contributed somewhat to the Ducks' success this year is that he's got the team believing that they can compete, that they're not just going to sit back and tank for another year, that, look, they've got a shot to actually make a, a playoff run. Yeah, more often than not, it really does seem like the the buy-in with the coach is more important than the actual coaching like the actual yeah. coaching itself like even if you look at like Micah's doing some stuff with the the coaching impact now and most coaches don't have a ton of impact good or bad mm -hmm. so I guess just you know having the guys liking coming to work every day is probably the thing that you need more than anything um which you're seeing with the Ducks and which we saw on the other end of the spectrum with Aline Vigneault. Once, you know, no one wants to play for you anymore. It doesn't matter what kind of coach you are, the team's going to suffer. So, Oh, yeah. And we have plenty of experience of that with Randy Carlisle. Like, that, was, <laughs> that was definitely a thing that we have, had known for quite a long time. And, um, you know, it's also worth mentioning with Bob Murray gone, now, um, after the accusations of basically a, a hostile and toxic workplace, um, you know, the, the Ducks were performing a lot better when he was still with the team. Um, mm -hmm. So the improvements had already happened uh, while they were underneath him. Um, but what's interesting now is that and, and here's the thing, too. 
we had heard internally for a number of years that it was a pretty toxic workplace. Unfortunately, we had never heard anything, you know, none of us have super insider access, right? So we don't, we didn't think we could really report, you know, effectively on that with like real hard evidence. Um, But uh, evidently they got that in the wake of the Blackhawk scandal and um, a lot more um, internal employees felt more empowered to report, hey, this is a messed up workplace. Um, and so having him gone really has changed kind of the outlook of the organization. I've heard some stuff internally that um, supposedly there was a huge weight off the shoulders when Murray was let go, that there was help being extended to people who wanted to talk about it, who wanted to um, kind of heal from that. And um, that extends to not only like hockey operations people, but players themselves, because players were accusing him of being abusive um, towards them. And so I think I would not be surprised if having him gone and maybe having a little bit, um, by all accounts, a much um, safer work environment and pleasant work environment so far under interim general manager Jeff Solomon, that that's had an impact as well. Yeah, it's pretty wild. just how much enjoying going to work every day can make a team better. I mean, I, I think a lot of hockey pl- fans have this weird, like, you know, got to be tough, got to be hard ass on these guys, got to, you know, ride them and yell at them and be mean to them. And the coach shouldn't be your friend and blah, blah, blah. All that like nonsense that we hear. I don't know if you guys hear it, but we hear it a lot in the flyers oh, yeah. community. Um, just seems silly to me. Like these guys are going to work every day. And if you literally hate going to work because someone's being a dick to you every single second of your life, your performance is going to suffer. You're a human being. So it's, yeah. it's, it's nice to see that kind of change, like yield tangible, positive results, because then you can kind of hope that maybe spreads out to other organizations that decide, you know, maybe we don't need to have someone being a dick all the time leading our hockey team and we can do it a different way. So Absolutely. Uh, just because I think it's fun. Um, our old friend Anthony Stolarz, obviously the backup for the Ducks. His numbers are not bad. He's got a 932 in 10 games. Um, how's he doing? We love him. Um, you know, he's he's been a fantastic backup goalie. There, there was certainly a lot of questions about the backup goalie position with Ryan Miller retiring uh, last year. Last season was his last season. And Ryan Miller had had been one of the best backups the Ducks had ever had um, for uh, a lot of, I think, obvious reasons for most people who are familiar with Ryan Miller. But um, getting somebody, you know, like Stolarz and the Ducks, I believe, traded for Stolarz from Philadelphia. Somebody correct me if I'm wrong on that. Um, but we we had gotten him, you know, previously for that. And he had been playing down in San Diego with the goals AHL team. Mm-hmm. Um, and he... Um, Basically, kind of near the end of the season, I think Ryan Miller was down with an injury for a little bit, so he got some time near the end of last season, looked decent, okay, and then won the primary backup spot out of camp. And after his first couple of starts, which were kind of rough, he really put it together. And, um, you know, at this point, everybody kind of figures that John Gibson probably should not get more than like 50 games, start 50 games a year if you can help it um just to manage his workload he's a wonderful one arguably one of the best goalies in the league when he's on but he is the type of guy that if you overwork he's going to break down really really quickly and um having anthony stolars uh you know to be able to start um 
30 games-ish or so, 30, 35 games roughly, um, I think you ask most Ducks fans, and they are going to be completely comfortable with that. I know I am um, with Stolarz coming in. We'll see. Stolarz may even get the start tomorrow. Gibson's had a had a fairly Ooh. heavy workload since coming back, so there's a chance he could see him tomorrow. That'd be we'll fun. have to find out. Yeah, that would be fun. Um, but yeah, he's 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 been great so far, and I think that um, it's just it's another interesting line in the Ducks goaltending pipeline where the Ducks have literally other than injury concerns since the inception of their franchise have never had a goalie problem whatsoever they've got that's got to be their strength as a franchise over the years is identifying goaltending talent Stolars has fit right into that it's great it's it's great to see he had a, a rough go in Philadelphia just a lot of unlucky injuries so it's nice to see him thriving out there yeah last thing I'll ask you is always final score prediction for this game well, uh, yeah, with uh, definitely some unknowns right now, I think, for everybody at this point with COVID. Um, my guess is that we're going to see the, I'm going to guess four to two ducks. Okay, respectable guess. I'm going to guess, despite the fact that I'm feeling very negative about the Flyers overall right now, um, they just lost 6-3 to Los Angeles. And despite the fact that they are almost always just terrible on these California swings in December, like they're they're never good. Um, they're getting Carter Hart back from COVID protocol tomorrow night, so he should be playing. Uh, they're getting Scott Lawton back, who is also out with the COVID protocol. Um, so I'm hoping that maybe gives them a little bit of a boost and maybe they end up winning like a tight 2-1-3-2 game. So I'm going to hope for Certainly possible. Yeah, especially because the Ducks have had, even with the lack of people, the Ducks uh, have had some issues scoring as of late. Some mm-hmm. of the pucks aren't necessarily going in. So I could see a tight, low-scoring game easily, given the way they've been playing. CJ, thank you again for doing this. Tell the people where they can find you on the internet. Thank you so much for having me, Kelly. I always love these chats. Um, you can find me on Twitter at CJ Woodling. Um, our, our, my work is also featured over at Crash the Pond that I run with um, my colleagues, Jake Rudolph and Felix Sicard. Jake and Felix also um, primarily host our Crash the Pond podcast that we have at least once a week. We have Patreon, um, a bunch of other stuff as well. We've built a great community over there. I occasionally join the podcast from time to time as well, although I, I mostly write. And um, yeah, find us over there. Check us out. Thanks so much. Yeah, you guys are doing great stuff over there. I love seeing independent websites doing well. It's great. CJ, thank you very much. I hope you enjoy the game. I hope everyone listening enjoys the game. I hope both teams have fun out there. Go Flyers.